me say one quick thing before uh, we go to um, scripture here. Uh, I know it's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers or grandmothers or great-grandmothers. Uh, we certainly celebrate that and are thankful for each and every one of you. Uh, I also want to recognize we do this every year that for some of you, this is not a great day. Maybe you had an awful relationship with your mom, or maybe you've struggled with having uh, infertility or miscarriages. Uh, I know there's many uh, in this room and in the other room uh, that struggle with the shame of abortions uh, or want to be married and uh, aren't married. So it is a, we always at Mitchell Road want to recognize uh, the multifacetedness of our church. And uh, for those of you who are our moms, we're thankful for you. And uh, for those of you who are great-grandmothers, we're really thankful for you. And uh, let me pray that in. Father, now we pray uh, as we come to your scripture. We pray that you would just remind us uh, of your great love for us and uh, of how we should speak of you and how we should speak of others. Uh, We pray in these few minutes that we have that you would give us the grace we need and that you, Holy Spirit, would work in such a way to change our heart. Uh, We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, most of life, if you think about it, most of life is teaching people how to actually speak. When you have a baby early on, you try to teach them how to speak. You try to teach language. You say, uh, dada or mama or can you say this Kate's first word was duck that was her first word and you teach a child how to speak how to use language and then the rest of your life is the same thing teaching each other how to actually use language and so your kids they get a little bit older and you say hey when you meet somebody uh, look them in the eye shake their hand say nice to meet you introduce yourself you have to teach them that you have to teach them how to use language they get a little bit older you have to teach them how to talk on the phone like all of our kids we had to go through that because talking on the phone is kind of a, a forgotten art you know so initially when our kids got phones we would call them and they would just answer the phone in silence and we're like no you have to say hello you have to we have to start this process somewhere and then interviews you know, you teach somebody how to do an interview. You get married, and you have to teach communication skills, how to do conflict uh, skills with your boss, using your languages, how to use your words appropriately. But words can also be uh, difficult and problematic. Uh, maybe you've said to somebody over the course of your life, don't put words in my mouth. Or maybe, uh, like Will Smith, uh, get my wife's name out of your mouth. Or maybe it's that phrase that has never sit well with you like it's never sit well with me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's just not true. Words hurt. They do damage. They, they lodge into your heart. And a lot of times when I'm doing like counseling with somebody, a lot of times what will happen is something will come up of somebody said something about them or to them 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and it's still resonating in their heart. So what happens in Christianity is this. We have to learn a new language. We have to learn the language of the gospel. We have to learn how to speak to ourselves. We have to learn how to speak to God. We have to learn that because language is super important, and it reminds us of truths. I don't know if you saw this week uh, that 
picture of a young, young soldier, female soldier in Ukraine who was locked inside that steel plant in Maripol. And the video came out, and she, only, she looked to be in her late 20s, had this beautiful voice down there in the caves of that steel plant, and she was singing to the rest of the soldiers the battle hymn of the Ukrainian army. And she was singing this. It is sweeter for us to die in battle than to live in chains as slaves. What's she doing there? She's using language to remind her of her purpose and what she's doing at that moment. Language can actually change your heart and how you think. For example, uh, if you get married, you take vows. Uh, I do promise and covenant with you and with God before these witnesses to be your loving and your faithful husband, your loving and your faithful wife. And those words actually change you as you continue to think about them. Matter of fact, many times Elizabeth and I always love each other. We don't always like each other, right? You get to those times in marriage where you're just kind of struggling. And on multiple occasions, we've been kind of struggling. You're just not connecting. I'll say under my breath, I did promise and covenant with you and with God before these witnesses to be your loving and faith. You know, those words, those words change your heart. They remind you what you're doing. Language matters. This is not just a psychological concept. Consider Psalm 42, 15. The psalmist says, and all throughout the psalms this happens, why are you downcast, O my soul? Trust in me. Put your hope in God. In other words, the psalmist is using language to speak truth to himself so his heart would start to change. And so as Christians, we have to learn new language. And if you learn a new language, you know you've mastered a new language if what happens? That's what all the scholars say. You know you've mastered another language if you start to dream in that language. That's how you know it's finally lodged. And for us as Christians, we have to, we have to dream again in the language of the gospel you know that you have Christianity lodged deep into your heart. If you start to dream, daydream or real dream, if you start to dream about what God might do in your life, what he might do in your neighborhood, what he might do in this city, what he might do in this world, what he might do in the new heavens and the new earth, if those dreams start to come alive, the language of the gospel has finally fully made it down to our hearts. Because here's what God says, Psalm 40. I lifted you out of the muck and mire. And I put you on a rock, and I put a new song in your mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So that new song is the language that we learn. Now, we're going to go quickly through this, because when I went to outline this, uh, the ark here placed in front of them, and then all of these um, people appointed to worship, the, the chief of whom, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 16, the chief of the worshipers was Asaph who was actually a percussionist. He led with cymbals. You know what? That's so valuable to me. Because I came a Christian at 14. I was a drummer. And uh, at 16, a lady in the church told me, if you're a drummer, you're an instrument of Satan because it's the devil's instrument. Don't words matter? Like, I'm, so, I'm you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm still like kind of PTSD from that moment. 
because those things lodge. Well, Asaph is leading with the symbols. The ark has been brought in, and then David gives them words. David says, this is now our song. This is now how we're going to think about this moment. This is how we're going to sing about this moment. And the words are given. Any song, the words are given to you. And here's David. Now, when I outlined it, I just had like one word for each kind of section of Scripture. And it was gratitude and then story and then declare and then power and then love and then mercy. And I realized if I just throw some prepositions in there, that's my point. And so here's the point. As Christians, our song is to have gratitude for a story that declares God's power, love, and mercy. That's the song that we sing. Gratitude for a story that declares God's power, love, and mercy. Let's go through this text. First of all, gratitude. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Henri Nouwen, uh, the Harvard scholar, he says it best this way. He says, gratitude is in its deepest sense means to live life as a gift to be received gratefully. But gratitude, as the gospel speaks about it, embraces all of life. The good, the bad, the joyful, the painful, the holy, and the not so holy. That's why he says, I'm going to give thanks. And then at the end, if you look at it, verse 12, he says, for the miracles and for the judgments. In other words, I'm going to give thanks not just for the good things that made my life comfortable, but for everything that has come my way. And it hasn't been easy for David. He's been on the run for multiple years, almost killed by Saul. It hasn't been an easy life. But he says, I'm going to learn to give thanks for everything that comes into my life because I can't wait to see how God's going to work it out. That's why G.K. Chesterton says, thanks is the highest form of thought, but gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Why can you be a grateful person? Why can you live with thankfulness? It's not because everything's going well, but it's because you have a God who's sovereign and who's providential and who's in control. And so the good days or the bad days, the language of Christians is gratitude. Gratitude for what? Well, gratitude for a story that declares God's power, love, and mercy. Let's look at the story part. Here, David in the song starts to go through the story of what they've been through. Look at verse 14. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And when you are few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings 
on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. In other words, here he says, Look, we have to give thanks, but here's our story. We are of no repute. We are just these little puny people that God somehow has used and not let us be overcome and not let us be oppressed. And he rebuked kings and he's brought us out into this now promised land. He's done all of these things. We have a story to talk about. And everybody in this room, everybody has a story. And it's not always pretty. Like Elizabeth Barrett Browning. You all know her, any English literature majors in here? Elizabeth Barrett Browning was basically lived an invalid lifestyle, one of the greatest uh, English writers that we have, even to this day. She finally found a guy to fall in love with her, and they got married, but her tyrannical father hated, hated him. So he had to get married in secret, and then they had to flee on a boat to Italy, and they never returned. And Elizabeth Barrett Browning tried to reconcile with her parents for 10 years. For 10 years, she wrote a letter to her mom and her dad every week. Just imagine that. A letter a week for 10 years. You can see where this story's going. Predictably, 10 years later, she gets a box in the mail, and it's all of the letters that she's written over a decade, and not one of them had ever been opened. And those letters became the canon of some of the best English literature we have to this day. And in one of those letters, Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes this, God's gifts put man's best dreams to shame. In other words, I I would have loved to have had this another way, but this is the story you gave me, disowned by my parents, never to be reconciled. But God, your best gifts are going to put man's best dreams to shame. Let me go on to the next point, which is to declare. Look at verse 23 through 27. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. This is David saying this to the Israel people. In other words, you do this. You use this language, David says. Tell of his salvation day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. In other words, declare these things. Look, when you go to a great restaurant... Don't you call your friends and say, I went to this great restaurant. You've got to go try it. It's this new spot on the west side. You're going to love it. If you go see a great concert, don't you call and tell your friends, I just saw these guys in concert. They were phenomenal. You have no problem declaring it. And so, friends, what we need to do as Christians is be the people that are declaring how great our God is. Somewhere along the way, we adopted the idea that evangelism is apologetics and that if we're going to talk to somebody about Christianity, we have to have all the answers and a ready defense and all of this stuff. But I think we kind of bit that hook, line, and sinker. I think what the world needs now is for us to be able to say, I love my relationship with the Lord. I love going to church. I love giving money to global missions. I love, I, there's nobody else I'd rather serve. 
I had a conversation this last week with a, Christian, a non-Christian. He said, uh, after a little bit of conversation, he said, wait, you're a pastor? I guess I don't naturally present that way. And uh, I said, yeah. He said, are you one of those ones that has like a bunch of jets and houses? And I said, no. And he said, uh, well, y'all make a lot of money, don't you? And I, and I said, not if you do it right. And he said, well, what do you do all day? And I said, look, man, it's, it is my greatest honor. Sometimes it's incredibly difficult being with people at moments of trauma. But it is my greatest joy and honor to live this life with meaning and pers- purpose, worshiping a king and following him all my days and doing whatever he asks me to do and struggling with my own heart but finding grace and mercy every Sunday and every day to get me through the day. And I just started preaching to him. And he said, man, that's awesome. And I said, do you want to have lunch next week? And he said, sure. It's just declaring how good God is. It's just being willing as Christians to be able to say, I'm not ashamed. I don't need to disclaim my relationship with the Lord. I'm, I'm not ashamed of them. You know those drug company commercials? You've always seen them. You know, it's two people sitting in a bathtub in the drug company or, you know, the person riding on the motorcycle. And you can never figure out really what's wrong with them because they all look happy. And then at the end of the commercial, it's always like... If you take this drug, you're going to be the happiest person in the face of the world. And then at the end, there's always like, you know, that really quick speak or, you know, at the bottom of the screen, if you take this, you might die or you might get severely depressed or you could grow a third arm or you might lose your head completely. You know, all the disclaimers. I always think the amount of faith it takes to take that drug, knowing that all of these things could go wrong. With the gospel, we can take it without all of the disclaimers. We don't have to worry about the back end. We can say, this is the greatest. God is the greatest. What do we declare? We declare his power. Verse 28 through 33. Ascribe to the Lord. Let me stop. If you don't know what ascribe means, it means give him his due or impute this to him. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord with splendor and holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that's in it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall the trees in the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He comes to judge the earth. We declare his power. We were supposed to get a storm yesterday. It never, at least in my neighborhood, it never evolved. And I was uh, really disappointed because there's something beautiful about sitting there when a big storm comes through and the power of it. Like it says in this text, let the sea roar. There's something about sitting at the beach and uh, seeing a storm rolling and the power of it and the majesty and the, the great expanse of the ocean. All of that is to remind us of the power of God. I had a friend. Um, <laughs> he he uh, was a trainer, still is now he's a professor, uh, but he was a trainer and his uh, first big time job was with the Detroit Lions. 
and he was up there stretching out the offensive lineman's leg. You know, he was on the table, and he was just pushing with everything he could to get his leg and hamstring stretched out. And it was the first day that they were doing a live practice. And uh, they kicked the ball, and these guys come down the field, and, you know, they're all trying to make the team and just collide. And my friend, who's stretching out this offensive lineman, jumped. He, he said, I physically jumped. Like, I was just shaken. And the guy on the table said, you're right to shake, boy. That's what he said to him. You should be scared of this. You should be scared of this power that's being on display. It's good, and it's right for us to remember the power of God and tremble at it. Tremble at who he is. But if we just had that and didn't have love, we'd never be able to survive. So look at verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. His love for you endures forever. Edmund Clowney says it this way. And when the ultimate beloved child cried, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? The father paid the price in his silence. Now think on this, friends. God so loved the world that he gave his son. So God the Father loves you. He loves you so much he had to give his son so you could be, so I could be adopted into his family. But he had to pay for that with silence. So think about it this way. You want to adopt this child, and you go to the court, and the judge says, you can adopt this child, but your child that you have, your son, your only son, you have to let him be tortured, and you have to let him be killed, and you have to let him be beat, and you can't say anything. You've got to watch the whole thing happen in utter silence, and you can't intervene. How, how incredibly hard would it be, and how much love do you have to have to allow your own son or your daughter, if you have a daughter, to be tortured and beat so that you could adopt and bring somebody else into the family. I, I think constantly we underestimate the love of God. God loves you that much. You are so deeply, incredibly loved. Not just when you're doing well, not when everything's going great. He loves all of who you are. There was a girl, she had just became a believer. And uh, her baby, like eight months before, um, and her baby was being born. She had a herniated diaphragm, I think, and a bunch of other things, um, medical problems with the child. And there's a pastor that went to go see her. And the pastor said, I, I have no words for this situation, which is the right pastoral thing to do. Don't, you know, don't say something if you don't know what you're going to say. And uh, she said, don't worry, pastor. I had a dream. And he said, well, tell me about the dream. She said, I had, this, I had this dream that I was in a big auditorium. Imagine like the Peace Center. I was in this big auditorium, and Jesus came out on the stage, and he had this child, my child. And he said, who wants this child? They'll never be able to wipe themselves. They'll be incredibly needy. They'll never say thank you. 
They'll never be able to say, I love you. They're going to cost you a fortune. Your life is going to be changed. You're going to have less uh, independence. Everything is going to be uh, difficult from here on out. Who wants this child? And she said, in the dream, I was at the back. Everybody was silent. And I was at the back of the auditorium saying, I do. I, I want her. Give her to me. She said, and then the dream flipped. See, she's starting to dream in the language of the gospel. And she was brought onto the stage. And over the sound system, somebody said, who wants this woman? She's selfish. She's been abused. She has so much pain in her history. She's probably going to forget about you. She's going to cost you a fortune. She's never going to say thank you. And she said, in the dream, Jesus was at the back saying, I want her. I want her. I'll take her. I'll love her. I'll care for her. I'll I'll deal with all of her needs. I'll always provide for her. That's how much God loves you. And then he loves you not only with a steadfast, a hesed, steadfast love, but he loves us with mercy. Verse 35 and 36. Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Now David has given them this new language, this language of gratitude for a story that declares God's power, his love, and his mercy. And this last section talks about his mercy to save. So friends, here's what I want you to do. I know, I know it's Mother's Day. But some of you might need to cry out to your Heavenly Father. And it's okay if you can't string a long sentence or prayer together. Some of us just need to learn the language of the gospel again and be willing to say, Abba, Father. You know, oftentimes in my prayer life, many, many, many days, the only words I can get out are these. Father, please help. That's, that's all I could muster. I can't string together any more theologically correct sentences or prayers than that. It's just, Dad, Father, please help. And I think God's quite okay with that. So I don't know where you are spiritually, right? You do. I don't know if your heart is filled with gratitude or if it's filled with cynicism. I don't know if you're trembling before the power of God and sense his love and his mercy. But if you haven't spoken If you haven't used the language of the gospel for a while, just start with Dad, Father, Abba. Remind me of the gospel again. And for some of you, you might need to repent. For some of you, you might need to remember uh, that he's coming to judge this world. For some of you, you might need to just rejoice and tell of his wonderful and marvelous works. But don't let this day, don't let this day get away without talking to your heavenly father with whatever you need to share and whatever you need to talk about. Don't let this day pass, this evening pass, before you've used the language of the gospel to remind your own heart of who he is and who you are because of it. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would, this day, I pray not just for this moment, but we've sung these words uh, that we need to think about, these words of crowning him with many crowns, 
that the Father truly loves us, He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. Uh, we've, we've shared confession and the Lord's Prayer. And we need all of these words have spoken to take root into our hearts. That the Christian song would, would be gratitude for a story that declares your power, your love, and your mercy. So make us into worshipers today. Make us into uh, a people and a community that speak the truth to each other, who trembles before you, and who also enjoys your steadfast love and your mercy to us. May we, like the Israelites, because of this song, all say amen. And come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.